When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Friday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Marie's special guest today, it's James Palmer of the NFL Network, who is an Ohio State grad. And he was here to cover Ohio State's Pro Day, uh, whenever it was, 10 days ago now. And I've always wanted to have him on. We've had Albert Breer on, who's an NFL reporter who went to Ohio State, and now James is joining us. This is a good hour-long conversation about the NFL's views on Ohio State and about these specific players, how they've done in the draft preparation process, what teams think of them, C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones. We did talk about Marvin Harrison Jr. as well. So um, good conversation, and this is a run of podcasts here. Saturday, this is your Friday podcast. I kept thinking I was going to do Rants podcast this week. Expect Rants on Monday, I think. Also expect Nathan and Steven to be back here on Saturday to up you uh, update you on Ohio State student appreciation practice, which will take place on Saturday. Unfortunately, I will not be there, but they will be, and that's another good look for us to get a good handle on these guys going ones versus ones, who's running with the top groups, who's looking good. So Ohio State, again, has been very open, and we're appreciative of it, very open this spring with our access to stuff. So this is going to be another big one. Look for that podcast Saturday. We gave you the cornerback podcast late on Thursday. Look for safeties pod, Sonny Styles, Josh Proctor, Lathan Ransom, those guys on Tuesday next week. That's the plan. And we do have some more availability talking to running backs and tight ends next week. So we have a lot going on. I also would direct you to the College Football Survivor Show. I feel like we've been doing some good episodes lately. We did a coach swap episode. It's me and Shahan J. Haraja. Wherever you find Buckeye Talk, you can find the College Football Survivor Show. We just took head coaches and said, you got to send them somewhere else. Where would we send Ryan Day? I had an idea for Ryan Day. Where would we send James Franklin? Who might we send to Texas, right? Just what we think coaches would do in different environments. And then also, we did a podcast talking about Alabama. We had Mike Rodak of AL.com join us. And I think this is of interest to Ohio State fans because Ohio State was once in this position where you're a football power with an excellent basketball team, the way Alabama was this year. Who's capable of that? How can you sustain it? Do schools have to choose one sport or the other? Then we look at it the other way. We look at basketball powers and ask, how come they've never competed at the highest, highest, highest levels in football? So I think it's a good discussion that absolutely applies to both Ohio State and Michigan. How do you try to do it in basketball when you're a football blue blood? So that's a good conversation. Again, College Football Survivorship. But we're going to do James Palmer. We appreciate his time. We always appreciate you guys joining us here on Buckeye Talk. And then next Monday, look for rants. And on Saturday, look for a wrap from the latest Ohio State practice. Here we go. 
on Buckeye Talk. Joined now by James Palmer of the NFL Network. James, I don't know if you know this. I've had you on my list. So oh. I got to get on Buckeye Talk. So how about finally we're making it happen. I approached you at the NFL Combine. You said, mm-hmm. who is this man bothering me? I said, please come on our podcast. And now here you are. So thanks for joining us on Buckeye Talk. That is not how I think of you, by the way, mm. uh, at all in any any stretch of the imagination. And by the way, I have to say this, being, you know, back for the pro day, and I mean, you're very beloved in that building, I have to say. Mm. Um, did you know that? Do you feel that way? Do you feel that they talk about you in that sense? The thing is, is the thing is, is I'm a jerk. I'm a jerk and I yell at people. So, but I've just been around a long time. And so you just grow on people. It's almost two decades that I've been doing this. Love so it. after a while, they just can't get rid of you. So they have no choice. No, so, um, so yeah, so you were at the reason, James, you're, we're here to talk about Ohio State's draft guys because you were there as mm-hmm. part of the NFL Network's coverage of Ohio State's Pro Day. But before we do that, I want to talk about you as a Buckeye. So you went to Ohio State. What led you to come to Ohio State? It's wild. So I, my family's from, I'm, I grew up in Philadelphia. My family's from Chicago. They're diehard, like big 10. Like they were like, you got to go to a big 10 school. Like that is college. That is experiencing college. And we have plenty of great universities in Philadelphia and tons of them. Uh, I wanted to go away too. So it was kind of a match made in heaven. Um, my sister was kind of recruited there to play lacrosse and she was like phenomenal lacrosse player. And I went with her uh, on kind of like a visit and was like, oh, yeah, uh, this campus is awesome. And I did. I hated Penn State. I just hated it. I went and <laughs> with her to visit her friends. And I was like, who? Like, is everybody just drinking in the woods? Like, this is. This is you is and that? Terrell Pryor, man. It was too country exactly, for you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Terrell Pryor was like, no, I got to go to the city. And so I loved that there was, you know, that it was in Columbus. I loved Columbus as a city. The Blue Jackets were just getting going when I got there uh, my freshman year, and I'm a big hockey guy. So that was like kind of like, oh, pro sports is still here right near campus. And so I was excited about that. I wanted to play baseball, um, and I was a pretty good player and and could have maybe walked on in that sense and, and had an idea in there. But like definitely uh, arm issues was, was definitely a big mm. problem heading out of high school. I played in a bunch of showcases and stuff uh, getting out of school, and that was kind of probably what overused me I ended up tearing my labrum and uh the baseball thing went out the window but I really loved honestly like the intramural and club scene was like huge for me just because I played four sports in high school and I loved that I could do everything and get the big college experience and then they had everything that I was looking for um degree wise was also a huge selling point I wanted to be a coach and a teacher and oh, wow. the way the educational program was set up there was you go with your master's included five-year program. It was great. Uh, I thought that was wonderful. I was going to go back to Pennsylvania and teach. Um, my sister's a teacher and my mom was a teacher. And it was kind of like, I know I'm going to need to get these classes eventually, right? You just got to keep taking classes when you're teaching. I want to teach high school. And I was like, well, if I knock these master's classes out right from the jump, this will be great. So that was kind of like all of the selling points. Um, of Ohio State. It was two, I graduated high school in 2001. So it was my first year was Trestle's first year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice introduction. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. I, I don't know, I don't mean to speak out of turn. Uh, to my knowledge, you're not a teacher or a coach, you're on no. TV. Yeah, very, so very what, much so. Um, what happened? 
this, so this is this is kind of how it connects because in the middle of my like my time at Ohio State, like my sophomore year, or whatever, they changed it from a five year program with your masters to a four year program, and a group of us that were in the middle got like I don't know how to put this politely, just absolutely screwed in terms of the way the major was changing. And in education, you know, so much is a prereq for the next quarter, for the next quarter, for the next quarter. And so a group of us just got like, it was like 40 of us just got absolutely screwed. And so like there was going to be like a, a, a quarter and a half where I was going to like take nothing really before it realigned up. And I was like, well, maybe I can get a communications degree while I'm at this. And let's see how that works. It was a terrible idea because it just doubled my school. So I ended up graduating with a BA and a BS. Uh, so like sophomore year in the spring, I was like, well, let me just get uh, a Bachelor of Arts as well. So I literally started from scratch. Nothing carried over um, in terms of general curriculum classes. Nothing. Oh, wow. I needed to grab a foreign language. So I took sign language, uh, which was awesome. Um, and so I ended up picking up a communications degree. And then went in the summer for two summers as well while I was finishing the education degree. So I was like, I'm too far along. I'm still going to finish that degree. Let me just add this other degree to it. And so I, I finished my student teaching. I passed the praxis in Ohio. Like I was all like, this will be my backup plan because with my communications degree and writing and stuff, they were like, you need an internship. And I got an internship with the Blue Jackets back to the original portion. Uh. And so... Todd Chirac took me on in the PR department of the Blue Jackets. I believe he's still there um, running that all of that for, for the Blue Jackets. And they were so young. They were like, you can do whatever you'd like. Like, go to the locker room, interview guys. And I started interview players and right on the website. And I was like, oh, I think I like this a lot, a lot more oh, wow. than, uh, than the teaching thing. And then the, and then the second-in-command guy... Ryan Holtman below Todd Schrock was like, Hey, do you want to work for the destroyers? I mean, I got to run the destroyers PR team too. And I was like, oh. yeah, let's do it. So I was like second in command for like the destroyers PR team because I, nobody was there really covering the games. I don't know if you were. Um, and so I think it was like Nagy was like the quarterback, I think back then, Matt Nagy. Okay. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I just was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Like th this journey. And my dad is in, has, has been on television for an eternity. Um, I mean, he covered Bear Bryant down in Birmingham, um, was in Philadelphia on TV forever. So it was like these two sides, like teacher television. Those are the two wait, parents. Wait, is your dad Scott Palmer? Yes. From channel six in Philadelphia? Yes. Now, now I see the resemblance. Okay, I grew up in Pennsylvania, so like I know who Scott so you Palmer know. is. Okay, oh. you know. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that's my old man. Yeah. Oh, so that. Oh, so you had it in your blood. Scott Palmer is like a legend in Philadelphia television. Sure. You had it in your blood. You just did. didn't know it. I, exactly, and I kind of fought it. I'm not going to lie. I, I like I, like that thing you just hummed right there. No lie was like hummed by opposing fan sections in high school basketball games. Like <laughs> I'm like that I'm dead hey, serious. TV boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what it was. Like I went to I went to Upper Marion High School, opposite of Kobe's Lower Marion High School. And um so like I, we're playing like I played some really good players, Jameer Nelson, Rip Hamilton, like I played those guys in high school. 
And like you, I'd be sitting there at the foul line and it'd be like, dun, 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 dun. and I'm like, Oh God. So maybe, I don't know, maybe subconsciously I wanted to like get out of Philadelphia and not do that. But it was just, it's just too enticing. I love television. I love everything that, that comes with it. I love every job that comes with TV and journalism. I've done most of them, a lot of them behind the camera too. Um, from being like an associate producer for Inside the NBA down in Atlanta to producing AAA baseball games to anything. Like, I just love television. I love sports television. I love live TV. Um, everything about covering sports uh, from any platform is just right up my alley. And I, maybe I just was lying to myself <laughs> that teaching was the bag. Um, but thank, thank goodness Ohio state boned you on your major. So you had to figure it out. So exactly. um, way to go Ohio state. So you, so you're the football seasons you were at Ohio state then were what two, three, four, five. Were you still there in and six, six or no? And six. So my last six. Wow. So yeah. So Trestle's first year. So my sophomore year, was when we won it all um, in 02. And like, so yeah, I came in with like, like in my introductory climber, Dustin Fox, we always joke about this when I go yep. on his radio show up in Cleveland, uh, that we were in the same, like, there's like a one credit course, the like introduction to school in the fall. And we were in the same class there. I remember him. He doesn't remember me. Um, now he does, I guess. But yeah, so my very last game as a student was Ohio State, Michigan, one verse two. Uh, Troy oh, Smith, wow. okay, quarterback. Yeah, well, we went forty-two thirty-eight. Does that sound right, or something like that? Sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Think, okay. Yeah. Oh wow, what what a, what a nice little run by you there. You got it, the, hey, you got it was it was real success. Yeah, we we were turning it up a notch because I remember a lot of people like then after I'm working, they're like, "Oh, did you go to Ohio State?" Like the dominance. I'm like, dude, like they the program was not in great shape when I except when I was like, I want to go to school here. I mean, nobody knew anything about Jim Trestle. Uh, yeah. At all. Um, and they were having trouble beating Michigan. And so like, it was not like they were riding high when I decided to come to, to Ohio state. Yeah. And then you just lifted them up. You just, I did. I think I played a big part. You know, if Maurice needed something, I was going to help him out, you know, that type of thing. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I actually didn't know too many guys on the team. Brandon Schnicker was like my only really good buddy the fullback, uh, buddy on the team. Cause he went to high school with all my roommates from Sandusky. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So you, um, you, you have this exposure. How long have you been at the NFL network now, James? I joined in 15. So it's been a, okay. a minute since I, since yeah. I've been there. Yeah. I covered the mountain West conference out in Denver. Uh, then I covered the sec. Then I was a beat reporter for the Houston Texans for, for two years before my, I closed a lot of TV stations down, Doug. I'm not gonna lie. I closed <laughs> a lot of them down. Um, when I signed on at NFL network, I think the blog, like Awful Announcing, had a write-up that was like, everybody at NFL never going to watch their back. James Palmer's going to shut this place down. Um, and so I joined in 15, and I had a choice to see where I wanted to live. And Peyton Manning was in Denver. We had nobody in Denver. Gary Kubiak and his staff had just you know, gotten fired from Houston and signed on to, to be the head coach in Denver. I was like, this is all perfect. And I loved Denver, living there, covering the Mountain West Conference. So it was full circle. And now I get to cover the whole league from there. It's just perfect uh, being centrally located there. I'll probably go skiing later today, uh, tomorrow. Oh, you know, We'll see. That'll be, the, that'll be the hope. So we have a little bit of a lull before the draft. Not as much skiing in Central Ohio. There's no. some. There's some. I, I was part of the Ohio State, State Ski State. Club, which was essentially a drinking club, but <laughs> I was part of the Ohio State <laughs> Ski Club. Yeah. 
Okay, so you have this base of knowledge. You've been around. You've seen things. You you know Ohio State from the inside. Now you cover the whole league, and so you, you get to see Ohio State from the outside. So you were there at pro day, and James, I'm just curious, like what what did you think of the vibe around that pro day, where you have a guy like C.J. Stroud who's in contention to be the number one pick. You have Paris Johnson and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Zach Harrison, and then by the way. You have Marvin Harrison Jr., who has one more year, but everybody's salivating over that. And by the way, his dad is here and he's in the Hall of Fame. And yeah. like just what what did you think of that scene? And you know, I have not covered pro days at other big time programs. Obviously, okay. Alabama's pro day is awesome. And you know, mm-hmm. Florida has a pro everybody has a pro day. Could give us the context of like what you thought of this particular Ohio State pro day in terms of kind of the show that was put on mm-hmm. and the talent that you saw out there. Yeah, so let, let's put some context first. Pro days are always different when there is a top quarterback performing. It's just a completely different vibe to the pro day. You mentioned Alabama. I've done their pro day the last four years uh, before this. I saw Bryce throw last year when he threw at their pro day, just like CJ threw the year before too. Um, so I had a chance to spend some time with Bryce last year down in Tuscaloosa. I've done Florida. I've done. I was at Johnny Menzel's pro day, which is unlike any pro mm. day you've ever seen, which – George and Barbara Bush showed up on a golf cart and there was a DJ and he was wearing a helmet and shoulder pads and camo shorts. It was nuts. Um, I've never seen a pro day like that one. But when there's a top quarterback performing, there's just a different vibe because the throwing session is what everybody wants to talk about. That's why we made such a big deal about it, putting on an NFL Plus. It was our inaugural like live NFL Plus broadcast, actually. It was CJ's throwing session. So there's just a different feel when it's a top quarterback. And then when it's top programs like in Alabama or Florida, I've been Georgia's pro day. Like, you know, I've been Texas's pro day, like old Miss. I was at the pro day when DK Metcalf and AJ Brown both came out in the same pro day. Actually, Dawson Knox was at that pro day too. A couple of really good players. And so there's just a different feel at those programs like Ohio state, Bama would put at the top just because there's so many guys that have the potential of, of getting drafted somewhere and that there's just a different feel because of the program and because of the quarterback throwing. 118 NFL personnel is a lot. Like that's more than you see almost any other pro day. Uh, Bama's has changed a little bit because they've been running two pro days, which is interesting the last couple of years. They've had two the last, I want to say three, because I did max pro day and then I did the one after. Yeah, like they've been running two pro days, which splits it up just a little bit. Um, but the size of this is, is not what you normally see. No, from a, from NFL attendance, it's not normally what, what you see at all. With what you know of the league and on a day like that, where you have the quarterback and you have Jackson Smith and Jigba as a receiver and you have MHJ as a receiver, who's coming next year. Mm -hmm. I don't know what does, does Ohio state have a, I don't know if reputation is the right word, but what does the NFL think of Ohio state? as a place to produce offensive players from this Ryan day offense, from what we've seen with Dwayne Haskins, the late great Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields and CJ Stroud and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and all these other guys. H- how do people talk about Ohio state? It's kind of evolved in, in the, the, the opinion of the league, right? Like remember just being known for these great linebackers for like a long stretch, right? When like they, like when I was in school with like AJ Hawk and those guys, and then like, we became kind of like DBU for a while and there were great corners coming out for like first round picks each and every single year with, you know, all these guys. And now over the last couple of years, 
I'd say it's shifted to going like, because there's been some misses, I'm not going to lie, like at the corner spot. The way the receiver group and the skill guys over the last couple of years, it's almost like they're almost like can't misses. I remember when I was down at Bama last year and I was, you know, talking to everybody about what Jamison Williams is going to be. And all they kept saying is like, how was he in the same room with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigba? Like, this is just, this just isn't right. Like to have this amount of talent um, coming out at these positions. Now we've never been known as a school with great quarterback play, right? Up until, up until recently. And I remember talking to Ryan day after the pro day, he almost kind of hinted like, We've been really lucky. Like it's almost like I'm ready for this off season. I got to get ready uh, to really work at that position. Not to say it's a lack of talent or anything. It's just like, man, have we had a consistent just ability to make plays? Um, now there is an aspect, and I will say this: in a school like Alabama that's put out really good receivers too lately, with Judy and James Williams and and Rugs and all of these different guys. Um, it, it there is a, a caveat that makes teams work a little bit harder in their study because of the program they're coming out of. Guys are running wide open. Like, so there's a little bit of extra work that's done from a lot of scouting departments and receiver coaches that I talk to because you got to go like, is it is this guy this good? Or he, the system itself, and you can never blame the system. I always hear that from scouts too. Like you can't blame CJ Stroud for throwing to wide open receivers. It's not his fault that they have more talent and scheme it better than most of their opponents. Like just the way they're built, you can't knock the system that he's playing within, but it also makes you take an extra beat and why pro days are important. Cause you want to see them run what you'd like them to run in terms of mm. routes. That's a big part because you know, and it's funny because pro days are personal workouts are kind of shifting and pro days are getting more important. More and more agents now are, are, are more or less telling teams like, you know, teams want to bring in a D tackle um, and be like, you know, we want to put them through what we're going to run up front. We, we want to do that. And, and agents are like, no, 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 no. We're not popping an Achilles. We're not doing a workout for you. Like, but that's becoming more prominent. So the controlled environment of the pro day is becoming actually more important so, like, standing there, you know, with a bunch of guys watching Jackson run, they want to see if he can run the stuff that they want him to run. Now, that's hit or miss whether that's going to happen in the pro day. But all this this long-winded answer to it is, like, it, Ohio State is almost too good at getting these guys open that it adds a layer of evaluation to these players because they want to know if, if the system is that or if it's the player. And that's been, you know... <laughs> I don't want to say a curse for these guys are succeeding, but it's actually adding work to some of these uh, these NFL programs. I do think that certainly factored in to sort of like when CJ Stroud was in the Heisman race and people mm-hmm. were trying to figure that out. Now they lost to Michigan both years. I do think if Ohio State would have beaten Michigan both years, he might have won the Heisman both years. Agreed. But that was a. I know I had lots of conversations with people about you know what's the system what's the talent around you and what's the guy mm-hmm. but it is it's it's strange james cuz you look at a guy like Josh Allen right coming mm-hmm. out of Wyoming there's yep. no like whatever I'm Josh Allen that. is 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 Josh Allen yep that's it right whereas he, what what's what helps the player more you said you were Josh Allen's pro day. like there's a, so he doesn't have the structure around him but you also kind of get all the credit for it is yep when you have more talent, does it almost, I don't know if the word is hurt you, but does it bring up more questions or is it like, well, hey man, Wyoming, I don't even know what Wyoming is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I covered Wyoming. Let me shut my dog's pushing this door open. Let me like, so 
this is the way it's thought of because there is both sides of it because you always want, let's go to the quarterback spot since we're talking about Josh Allen. And this is a question with CJ a little bit. A term that a lot of teams use are, are you a multiplier? The, the meaning of that is, do you raise the level of play of everybody around you? Do you put the team on your back at times? You know, Jalen Hurts is the type of guy that if I talk to guys in that locker, I remember Dallas Goddard, their tight end, telling me this this year. He's like, he'll look at us and go, F it. If you guys aren't going to do it, I'm just going to do it myself. And, and he's going to just put the team on his back and make them better. Are you a multiplier? You can see that a lot of times if you're from a program like we're mentioning with Josh Allen in Wyoming because he has to. So you get that box checked when the town is lacking around, say, the, the very uber-talented quarterback. But there's also the side where you have to put the evaluation and the, the pro day comes in and your workouts and your, and your meetings come in because then you get a Trey Lance situation where you're like, well, who's he playing against? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So there's that part because it's like, okay, he's raising the level of his team, but also he's playing a step ahead and faster and quicker and bigger and stronger and mentally a step ahead than everybody else he's playing against. Let's put that into a factor. When you're playing at Ohio State or Alabama, like your competition is better than those guys. But I think it's safe to say, like, nobody was protected probably better than C.J. Stroud this year. So are you going to walk into that type of protection? Like, what is it going to be like if things break down? Um, Because everything breaks down in the NFL uh, on a regular basis. So it is really, you can't speak in generalization specifically at that spot because there's so many, like, different factors we kind of just brought up in these two questions, right, of that that. Who are you going against? Who are you playing with? Who's around you? And then how did you play in the situations where you weren't supposed to succeed? Those are kind of the big ones. But like back to like the one, I don't know why his name jumped into my mind, like Jeff Hireman. Remember Jeff Hireman? Oh, yeah. like, like I remember when he was drafted and even Urban Meyer, I think, was on our set and was like, this guy's going to be great or whatever. Then I think like Denver realized like, no, this guy's running wide open because everybody else is a first round pick. Like that, that's why he's, he's putting up some of these stats and getting some of these favorable matchups. Those are the things that you got to dissect with, with a program like Ohio State. All right, let's get a little specific then. Yeah. This decision that the Carolina Panthers are going to have at number one, presumably between Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. I like them both. Mm-hmm. I think they're both calm and poised in the pocket. That seems to really matter for me. You can also obviously look at, I think Bryce moves around a little bit better. CJ is five inches taller. Mm-hmm. How do you think Carolina will go about making this decision? And how difficult of a decision do you think it is between these two guys? It's it's very tough. I consider them 1A and 1B at our shop. Anybody from an ex-executive like Mark Ross, who's won Super Bowls in the front office with the Giants and been with the Eagles, thinks it's, you know, Bryce Young hands down. You know, Bucky Brooks, who's a scout and a you know, and a former player, and he thinks it's CJ Stroud, hands down. And and so I think it has to be exactly what you're looking for. I think the world of Frank Reich, I've covered him for a long time. I think he is tremendous with quarterbacks. I'll put this out there first. I think, in my opinion, for both organizations and the success of both quarterbacks, it should be C.J. Stroud and then Bryce Young. I think Bryce fits the Houston Texans and what they want to do really well, and I think C.J. fits the Panthers and what Frank Reich wants to do really well. I think if that's the way it went, in my just opinion, that might be best for both quarterbacks. Um and, I, and we can get into it. But the, the thing that I've been told by a lot of evaluators on both guys, um, 
let's start with CJ and what people love about him. One of the things that he, the couple things that he does that they love translates to the NFL game are he has a very quick release. It's not a long motion. It's a weird motion that some guys can't put their finger on. Some say it's mechanical. Some say he's a pusher, but then they don't want to say a pusher is a negative thing. Um, it's just out quick. The way he throws a ball, they love that it works in a closed pocket. When a pocket's coming down on you and guys are in your face, he's going to be the way he throws really over the kind of the top. The way he throws is he's going to be able to get the ball out under pressure. Huge thing in the NFL. And he can stare down a guy coming at him and he's fine throwing the football. They love that. Then the other thing about him that teams really, really love is that when you go, he's a progression quarterback, which that's a lot of the NFL and to go through your progressions, but he doesn't go through them with just his eyes and his arm. He goes through them with his feet. And that's huge at the, at the NFL level. And it's rare at the college level that guys are that good with going through the progressions with their feet. And I'm here and then I'm here, I'm here. And it, all three things follow each other. That's huge in a lot of the way some offenses run. Um, that would help in a Frank Reich type of system, um, the way his footwork works with his eyes and with his arm. That's a huge compliment to him. Uh, and, and that's something that he's already pro-ready in. Um, I think you're right. I think they both process well. I think um, mentally the both of them play the game a little bit better than um, – well, not a little bit, a lot of bit better than everybody else playing the position in this yeah. draft. Um, it's not really that close. It's And I should say this too, in, Al, in most of the evaluators' minds um, and in both of these programs' minds, it, it's these two, there's a gap, and then it's the other guys. Um, Hooker's really jump climbing, actually, um, in a lot of NFL circles right now uh, from Tennessee. But with Bryce, the ability to create, like I mentioned, everything breaks down in the NFL regularly, they like his ability to improvise and create um, and make throws. And they both of them are natural throwers, but he's a little bit more of a throw from a variety of angles. But CJ is unbelievably accurate, which half the teams in the league, maybe more, think you can't fix accuracy. Like you just can't. You're either an accurate thrower or you can't. I, I, had, a, I had a quarterback coach say this to me this year where he was like, look at Aaron Rodgers. He's like one of the most accurate throwers ever, right? And he throws the ball from every angle ever. Every angle possible. Kirk Cousins throws it from the exact same spot every single time is one of the most accurate throwers ever. His point is you're just either accurate or you're not. And CJ's unbelievably accurate. So those three traits are the ones that teams really like about CJ in terms of physical traits. We can get into the mental side of both of them. But those are the ones that I think set CJ apart a little bit. I spent a lot of time when the Browns were drafting Deshaun Kaiser, trying to ask people, can you teach accuracy? Yeah. And then Deshaun Kaiser started throwing balls off the, the roof for the yeah. Browns. It was like, nope. Nope. But can't. then also, nope. it's like I was down on Josh Allen because I was like, can't teach He's accuracy. The outlier. Josh Allen got in the league. He is the outlier. So it, it is, I, I'm still riding with my, I don't think Josh Allen is going to make it take. And I'm, I'm, I've dive bombed right into the ground with it because, <laughs> but you're trying to tell people, well, he's the exception that proves the rule. So don't go, don't, don't draft a million inaccurate quarterbacks, which le- would lead us to an Anthony Richardson conversation if we weren't on an Ohio State podcast. So yeah. I, I, I think that CJ is really smart. And I think that processing mm-hmm. thing. Um, I also think that CJ at time, we talk about it a lot on this podcast. CJ has heard the noise sometimes, right? Like he hears the criticism mm-hmm. and he's going to go to a losing team and he's going to have to fight through that. And it's one of the things where I think, I think CJ is a real dude. 
But -hmm. sometimes like if you're a real dude, like, I mean, real people, their feelings get hurt when you say mean things about them. If you're a football monster, you don't care what people think. I'm going to prove the haters wrong. So, you know, I certainly don't view that as a negative, but I'm really curious how CJ is going to handle it. Because I think he had to push through a little bit at at Ohio State, and Mm -hmm. he did. And he played his best game in his last game. Mm -hmm. But I think a franchise has to know that and has to realize that. Doesn't mean you have to baby him. But mm-hmm. you're going to have to. This guy, I think he, I think he's a grinder. I think he's going to be in the film room. I think he's really smart and he's going to process. But you've got to make sure that, hey man, if he starts one and six, like you've got to help him push through this a little bit and be a number one man. Whole mama, you're the number one yeah. pick in the whole entire draft. How do you think all that factors in yep. this emotional, mental side of all these quarterbacks? Yeah, and that's something that that a lot of teams do in their meetings. I, I hate to say that they do this, but this is what they do. They push your buttons on purpose and piss you off on purpose in the meeting to see how you respond to it. Like, and that happened with a couple of CJ's meetings at the combine with teams that I talked to. And it was kind of like, they were kind of like jabbing at him and seeing kind of like what, how he'd respond. I'll tell you this, the teams I talked to loved the way he responded. They were like, he's got some street to him. He's got some bite to him. Like we pushed him here. He push right back. Like they want to see if you're mm-hmm. gonna cave. They want to see if you're gonna give in. They want to see like if they go like, well, you know, I'm trying to use a, a really example of it, but like almost like knock your game in a in a, in a sense, or or say something that they they don't want you to agree with, but they're trying to force you to cave and agree with them. And they want to see if you stand your ground, right? They want to see if you stand your ground to to back up your point. And he did, and he kind of came back at a couple of coaches. Like it, it showed them. Something that they really wanted to see. Like, I want to see that competitiveness. And I want to see when you're back into a corner, are you going to shrivel or are you going to come out with your chest puffed and, and say like, no, 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 no. You're not going to do that. Like, they love that about CJ. And that happened with more than one team because they, they, they want to see if, like you said, how do you handle being the face of a franchise? Now, I think see, and I talked to Ryan Day about this, the, the, the corporation that is Ohio State football like you're already the face of that for the last two years. Yep. I think that puts you in a lot better spot than a lot of some of these other guys. Like we mentioned Josh Allen coming out of Wyoming. Um, and, and, and Bryce has had to do it as well with, you know, most popular person probably in the state outside of his head coach. And so they want to see if you're going to be able to handle all of this, because a lot of times, like, give me this. All right. How, how often does CJ talk? Did he talk his senior year? Once a week? Every week, yeah. Yep. Like like during the week and then after the game, so twice. So that's that's NFL prototype, right? That's all a quarterback is time to talk. Once during the week, whether it's Wednesday or Thursday, and then after the game. That is what you do. He's ready for that. Like those are little things that coaches check off. Like say he goes to, to the Texans. I already know knowing him and knowing the way he's operating. That, that is huge in D'Amico Ryan's mind. What are you as a leader do you have the it factor that you can gravitate the guys on the defensive side of the ball to follow you? And the third is, are you experienced and ready? Right? That was one thing. Like, look at the guys who who thrived in this last draft that were not that wasn't very good. Like Kenny Pickett played pretty well because he played a lot of games. Like Brock Purdy played pretty well. He played four years at Iowa State starting. Like having all of those experiences being the guy, I think does prepare CJ for being the face of a franchise. I think it also probably helps in the two markets. Some people may think Houston's a big media market. It's not. And Charlotte isn't either. I think it's phenomenal that neither guy is landing in New York City or Philadelphia. 
Charlotte and Houston, I think is great for, for both of these guys. Um, and, and the best part is they're both landing with a head coach that has time on their side. The last thing you want is to change systems, to change head coaches and guys. I remember Sam Bradford, I think, went through like five offensive systems in his first five years. Like, nobody wants that. You got two fresh head coaches. D'Amico Ryan is on a six-year deal in Houston. Um, that there's patience with both of you. And I think all of those things like help out both of these quarterbacks, whether you go one or two. And I do think I, I also agree on the Stroud to Carolina, young to Houston, just for whatever reason, if they just fit seems to fit better. And I don't know if it's because CJ Stroud play an, played for an offensive head coach. And I feel like Frank Reich is the NFL version of Ryan day yeah. and Bryce young played for a defensive head coach. And, Nick Saban and D'Amico Ryans are both going to want you to get it done, right? I, I, maybe, I don't know what it is, but I do think a lot of that would fit together. I'm sure, yeah. I would imagine Carolina has not made a decision yet. They had the whole crew at Ohio State Pro Day. They flew everybody to Alabama, had the whole crew there. Then I think they went to Will Levis. I mean, they're going, they're checking everybody out. Is Do you think they have, like, they're, th- this is what this process is for. They're still deciding. But even within that, do you have a gut would you yeah. guess it is CJ? I think they know. First off, they're not going to tell anybody. Um, two, this is not like the. I remember being down in Jacksonville for the Trevor Lawrence draft, where it was like Trevor Lawrence is going one. I don't know what I'm going to talk about for the next week uh, that I'm down here in Jacksonville because this is there is no secret. This guy is the best prospect we've seen since Andrew Luck. This is with two cents. When they made the trade, I think helps them out tremendously. Making it before the pro days, making it before thirty visits. You might have even had an idea of who you wanted, but now you get to uncover every single stone about both guys. And I love that David Tepper went to both of these. That this should be, you have the first overall pick, you trade it up for it, it should be all hands on deck. It should be everybody involved with their two cents on what they think the the, the decision should be. So you're all on the same page. I mean, the last thing you want is you made the, you made this move, you make this pick, and then the owner's like, "Well, I didn't like him. Like, yeah. I love that David Tepper's a part of everything that they're that they're that they're doing. Um, I think they have a, I think they have a sense of who they want, and they're just trying to either reassure themselves and just make sure everything is checked in that sense, or it's down to we like two guys really well. Let's be honest, the two guys are above everybody else. This foolishness of Anthony Richardson going one is just nonsense. Um, and so let's just make sure we like the makeup of both these guys and, 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 and see if we're really, really sold on one and, and go through the whole process. I mean, they're both, they're not done. I'll tell you that they're not done looking at both guys either. Um, but I think you, all you're doing is trying to reassure where you already stand. I think they know, um, I do, but, um, I, with all of this time that we have, you got to do your due diligence on all of it. And I think time on their side actually helps them quite a bit. Okay, let's talk about a couple other guys in yeah. this draft for Ohio State. You're watching, you're there pro day. You're watching Jackson Smith and Jigba go through his workout. And this is a guy who basically didn't play. Yeah. But we saw Micah Parsons opts out. Micah Parsons goes high, goes to the league, kills it. Jamar Chase opts out, goes to the league, kills it. Like it does. Do you think it had any effect that Jackson Smith and Jigba basically lost his last year in college? Does the NFL care about that? The two things with that I'll say is no. They don't care. Uh, the other part is they're curious how it finished uh, and why. Um, like Jamar Chase, when like I opted out and I'm preparing for the draft, 
Um, Jackson never hasn't said that to the teams that I've talked to that have interviewed him. He hasn't said, I shut it down and, you know, I had the hamstring, I had the hamstring, and then I finally just, you know what, I'm going to shut it down and get ready for the draft. He didn't say that in a couple of his meetings. And some teams were curious about that. And they honestly told me, like, I wish he would have just said that. Like, just tell me flat out. Like, I shut it down for the league, man. I shut it down to prepare and do that. Like, you didn't run the 40 at the Combine when the last time you tweaked your hamstring was apparently, you told teams, October. So I'm not entirely sure some teams were questioning that. I've heard a lot of different things with the hamstring. It was mixed diagnosed, different things. I've heard a lot of different stuff about it. Um, that's kind of the one little question. Like, hey, man, like, shoot me straight about why this happened on the back end of the season. Um, I did. I will say that. The only other thing that they that they look at is go. It makes watching the film from two years ago a little bit. Um, I don't want to say dated, but when guys I talked to after the pro day watched it, they're like, he's already grown as a receiver. What I was watching is kind of old a little bit, um, and they they like that about him because they think he's going to keep getting better as a receiver. Um, that's kind of similar to the Jamison Williams stuff. Like mm. there was like old, if you watch him at Ohio state, you were like, I understand why this guy's not on the field. He's not better than these guys. And then you watch the growth he had in later stuff. And you're like, Oh, like they kind of see that in Jackson. Now you're not seeing it on game film, but you're seeing it in the, in the pro day. So to answer your question, no, it's not really a concern that he missed the year. Um, in their eyes, they think he's really good. We can get into, get into, let's get into him. Uh, cause he, he's kind of fascinating. They're comps. So, so that idea. So first, like probably short answer. It just feels like he's bigger, heavier and quicker than Jordan Addison, which otherwise is kind of a comp. It feels like Jackson Smith and Jigbet ahead of Jordan Addison. And then Quentin Johnston is just a completely different just, kind yeah. of receiver. Yeah. It's, like it's almost DK like Metcalf. not even this same yeah. position, but mm-hmm. is it, I mean, are we assuming JSN's the first receiver off the board? Probably. I think Steve Smith and I, you saw Steve was there and I, yeah. I love watching receivers run with Steve and I got to stand next to him when Jackson and, and Marvin were running everything, which was a blast for him to just tell me, I mean, Steve's going to be in the hall of fame and just tell me the way they move and why they move differently and why different guys move the way they work. And him and I were talking about, does Jackson's skill set limit his suitors, right? Because of the way mm. he's built and the way he plays the position may deter some teams. The reason I say that is because most of the teams I've talked to about Jackson say that they don't have a comp for him. Like they, they literally don't have a comp, like the way he's built, the way he runs routes, the way he runs, plays the position. They're like, I don't, most buildings are like, I don't have a comp for him. He's got these like short legs uh, that are really thick. Um, and the point I'm making is, whether he'll be the first receiver off or not, is how that building feels about not having a comp. Some buildings are like, I love that he doesn't have a comp. He's a one-of-a-kind type of player in the way he plays the position. We have faith as a coaching staff. We're going to use him like this, this, and this, right? There's other buildings that are a little insecure going, I don't have a a comp for him. What's he going to do? And there's an insecurity there about how do we use them, we pick them that high, what if we missed, let's go with something safer. That can play into a building that's overthinking itself and probably not having the confidence in how they want to use him. What I've been told about him from most teams are like, I don't care how fast he runs, he gets open, and if he's in the slot, I think he's going to catch a million balls and nobody's going to be able to stay with him. 
And, and that's the sense from teams that don't really value traits, if that makes sense. The teams and the scouts that I talk to that really go, he's a football player. Like, that's it. And that's the best compliment you can get from, like, a high-level scout. Like, he's a football player. A perfect comparison, as we're talking about no comparisons, is, like, Jalen Petrie at, at, at uh, Baylor last year. Undersized safety, didn't check a lot of boxes trait-wise, wasn't the fastest safety out there. But when I talk to scouts in that area, they're like, the dude just makes plays. That's all mm. he does. And that's what what he do in his first year in Houston when he's drafted in the second round. He has like 140 some odd tackles, like fifth in the defensive uh, rookie of the year voting. It's just he makes plays. That's my defensive comp to to Jackson, where teams are just like the guy just makes plays. He just gets open and, and he can't be covered and he just makes plays. Um, that's not valued equally in every building, and that's the that's the interesting part when you look at a player like Jackson. It does feel like I think, you know, the agility, the short area quickness that you saw with this testing at the combine, yeah. I think he he beats man coverage in the slot. And then I think he has a great feel for the game and he knows how to sit down in a zone and get open, like find the area like he and CJ two seasons ago were just really good at that. Like CJ, they were really connected and it was like, mm-hmm. well, whatever you're supposed to do here, we're just going to figure it out and you're going to be open and then you might turn a nine yard route into a 70 yard touchdown as yep. it did at times too. So yeah. um, I would say though, I, to I, one quick other note is like the one thing that's lacking in him from teams is they say like, he doesn't have a ton of explosiveness. Like, is he a big threat? Is, is he a game breaker? Like say Garrett Wilson, like, is he have that extra something? No. But when they watched him at the combine, I've talked to multiple people that were on the field when he's running with all the other receivers and that's the spot at the combat. You want to see this guy run, then this guy run and just an easy eye comp right away. They're like, everything he does is just effortless and smoother than everybody else. I do think there's been this whole thing where Garrett and Chris, when they were at Ohio state said, Oh, Jackson's going to be better than us. Right. They both always said it, right. Yeah. Playing with them sets the big 10 single season receiving record, like with Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave beside him. I, I like that. They say that there is a part of me, that Garrett just always felt like to me, like a guy who could explode on every exactly. play. And I think we saw enough of that in his rookie year in the NFL. Chris Olave was actually better as a rookie than I expected. Cause I do he think was. Chris is just a little more of a, of a smooth, deep threat kind of guy. And it was a weird situation that he was in. Yeah. 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 Tough spot and was a really productive player. There's a part of me that like the assumption, like, well, Jackson's going to be, even. it's like Jackson's going to be better. Then the two best rookie receivers in the league, I, I wonder, like, long-term, 10 years from now, who's the best NFL receiver of that group? I still think I might put my money on Garrett. Mm-hmm. That's not to take anything away from Jackson, though. But you watched. I mean, Garrett and Chris were both nuts this year. They were phenomenal. They were fantastic this year. And and you're right. I, I just think also because the other concern with Jackson is can he play outside? Um, and can he be physical enough with his hands on the outside um, and get off a of press on the outside? That's uh, one of the questions some teams want want answered. I think the ability to play inside and outside is becoming more and more prominent now in the league, and they want you to be able to be moved around much more than, say, even five years ago. You're an out, just an outside guy. No, that's not really the way this works anymore. Well, if you're a great inside guy – can you be a great outside guy? And that's what they're curious about with Jackson. In terms of working the middle of the field, like it's incredible what he can do in terms of leverage, in terms of, you know, 
a couple of receiver coaches were telling me like, dude, like, because I don't get it. Like they get it. Right. Like I just try to talk to the right people. <laughs> um, and they're like, when he has to get outside and a, and a corner has outside leverage to be able to still get out there and run what you want and get open is mind blowing. Like how he's able to do that because his football IQ is through the roof and his understanding yep. of spacing and things like that is through the roof. And that really is the NFL game. Um, and I think he is going to thrive. Some teams think he's just going to be incredible inside. But again, that lack of explosiveness we're talking about with Garrett, teams don't really see that uh, with Jackson as much. All right, let's talk about the other receiver before we get to another guy or two in this actual draft. So Marvin Harrison Jr. So while you were talking there, I was just running through and I draft history. And I got back to Calvin Johnson in 2007. And I thought to myself, how many receiver prospects since Calvin Johnson would maybe be better than what we might think Marvin Harrison Jr. is? And I think I'm maybe at Jamar Chase, and that's it. Mm-hmm. We know he's good. We know he's viewed as the best receiver in college football. But like, what is like, what is the real context potentially with this guy and what NFL people are thinking right now? Oh, he was he. Trust me, there were plenty of eyes on him at the pro day. Like there was no, like, this guy's not coming out. Like, all right, let's, let me look down at my phone. Like, no, that was definitely not happening at all. And he watching him with Steve was one of my favorite aspects because somebody would go and I'm trying to remember who it was. And and, like, they'd, they'd go into their break and they'd almost be too amped up, right? Too many steps getting out of their break and turning and like just too fired up to it. And then he's like, watch Marvin go. And like, he goes and it's like one step gone and he's like, to see how he has the ability to a half a step before his break, he gathers his body. Like he he puts himself in full control because a lot of people like there a lot of guys like especially at a pro day, everybody's watching you as a receiver. You're too you're too amped up, right? This is what Steve was telling me. And he's like, and like you get in and out of these breaks, you're just you're you're pitter pattery too much, you're too quick on yourself. He's like, watch how Marvin handles it. And it was just completely different than everybody else. It was just like gather his whole body without slowing down and figure out his footwork before he has to do the break and then get it and go. And like, he's like, do you see how it just looks different? He's like, don't even just like, it just, do you see it first? And I was like, yeah. So I saw that and then I'm like, yeah, it just looks different than everybody else. Then he started describing to me why, like I said, like how he gathers himself, how he finds the spot, how he finds the ball. Like there were a couple of balls that he looked really late at, if you remember, right. Where he, he was running the whole time. And then he is, the, the late eyes, like Steve was like, you don't have to do that at a pro day, but like you're doing that as an underclassman at a pro day that you're like showing everybody, like watch how late my eyes can be. Like if I was in tight coverage right now and he's just like, ball, like those things on top of like what I hear, you probably know this better than me, like the work ethic wise and the constantly catching balls and things like that. Like I, there's a lot of excitement for what he's going to do next year. And I, it's funny because I don't know what it – I was almost to say it doesn't matter, Doug, but maybe it – I mean, it, it does matter. But you get what I'm saying? He's already did so much this past year and the talent mm-hmm. he has and the understanding he has of the position. I'm curious what he has to do this year coming up. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's one of these things. I, I think – I mean, it's going to be interesting – it's one of those things, again, it goes back to the sort of lots of talent discussion that we were having with CJ early on. Well, 
CJ was surrounded by great receivers, but also mm-hmm. Marvin had a Heisman candidate, possible number one pick, as a throwing him the ball. Mm-hmm. Now he's going to have a first year starter, whoever it is, and it might be his high school teammate Kyle McCord, and yeah, they have a great connection. Philadelphia Sancho's prop. Yeah. Nice. Look at you guys, Kevin Stefanski, all you Philly guys. I know. So right? Sean McDermott. So the the idea of like I think Marvin, right? Marvin's going to get even more credit. From mm-hmm. what Ohio State does this yeah, year, because you're going to see, oh, well, Marvin Harrison Jr. helped bring this quarterback and this offense along. And there's going to be other great receivers in the field with Emeka Buku, who's a probably yeah. also a first round pick, and Julian Fleming, who's a great talent. But I do think it's going to be more about like Marvin first. And mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, two years ago when you had those three receivers together, it's like, well, I don't even know what this is. And then last year, it's like CJ's being CJ. But yep. now this is Marv time. We said like maximizing Marv. Like, yeah. how do you go about this? <laughs> and the things that Ryan Day, I think they're going to move him around the field. Mm-hmm. I think they're not just going to have him be on the outside. They're going to make sure they try to free him up so they're not. it's not easy to defend him. Yep. And then, right, go mm-hmm. win a national championship. You have the hype in yep. a world where – Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. Now, Caleb Williams is coming back, but people don't want to give a second Heisman to a guy. They just don't. No. Yeah. Devontae Smith laid it down. What's it look like? We know what it looks like. You probably have to play for the best team, and you have to be the engine of that. I don't know. Good point. I think that's out there for him. So I do think there's a lot of things of like, do you want to be a legend? Mm -hmm. Do you want to be in in a world where... We have seen, you know, Ted Ginn Jr. and San Antonio Holmes yeah. and Chris Carter and Terry Glenn and David Boston and Chris Olave. Do you want to be the best of all of them? Yeah. That when you think Ohio State, the first Ohio State receiver who comes to mind, like right now, if I said that to you, James Palmer, Buckeye, Ohio State graduate, I say Ohio State receiver, bang, something goes in your head. Is it? Is it maybe Chris Carter? Is yeah. it like what? Like is it Ted Ginn Jr.? Who is it? Well, Ted was there when I was there. I'll say Michael Jenkins. No. Um, yep. I did like Michael Jenkins. Holy Buckeye. I loved it. Yeah. Oh, great. Like one of the greatest plays ever, right? I remember losing my <laughs> flipping mind. Oh, my God. Our house our house exploded. Oh, my God. It was unbelievable. One of my buddies stripped completely naked, ran straight down Norwich. I'm not going to lie. It definitely happened. Um, and so, I mean, I think you still think Chris Carter just because of it, it's just bigger almost than just his career at Ohio State, right? Like, and and right. it's like it's I hate to say it, but you do include it just when you just think about it. It's like, well, it's like what he's done on TV, what he did in the NFL, what he's done. It's just it's just his personality that is huge. But yeah, I think you say Chris Carter. I think the other guys are like, I mean, were we wowed by Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're one year into their league right now. I'm not into the league. I'm not going to just go. Well, that's it. But like Marvin has that chance already. I mean, that the catch you you've covered Ohio State football. Is that the best catch you've ever seen in Ohio State football? I think it's the best body control move I've ever seen anybody have on the sideline. Where so, his foot like disconnected from like his leg, body. Yeah, where his like, lower body disconnects from his upper body, and like somehow he sees the like he's catching it and sees the sideline and like turns his leg in an angle that you probably shouldn't and taps his foot in. It was it was one of the most body control moves I've ever seen a football player make. It was it was it might be the best catch in, in Ohio State history in terms of just the catch, not the magnitude, the yeah. play, just the ability to make the catch. At times, I've compared him to Michael Thomas because Michael Thomas was a pro at Ohio State. He yeah. had football in the family. Keyshawn Johnson's his cousin. Mm-hmm. Marv obviously has football in the family. You know what's up. Yep. You know what it takes, and you bring that to college. You don't have to be. You have that in you, mm-hmm. but. 
Marvin, I think just naturally, the natural talent and the skills are a couple steps beyond Michael Thomas. And we saw what Michael Thomas did. He was the best player in the league, the best receiver in the league for a couple of years. I was just talking about the dedication (laughs) today. Yeah. Right? Like, so the combination for Marvin of size, Mm -hmm. because he's got big receiver size, but he kind of plays like a little receiver, but it's like size and technique, all the dots every I and crosses every T. And then. The work ethic. The guy's mm-hmm. a maniac. And so I don't know. How often do you but, check all three of those? The, the only other guy I can think of that just came to mind that has ever kind of done this from the pedigree standpoint, from the prep standpoint, from the technique standpoint, all of that is Pat Sertan Jr. At, uh, at, at, at with the Denver Broncos. I mean, his dad was a great NFL corner, a great NFL corner. He came at, into the NFL. He's our, he's set, he's two years into the league now. Most teams I talk to, they say he's top two corner in the NFL already. Mm. And his size, just like Marvin, is bigger than he's bigger than his dad, but he moves like his dad. And their technique that they were taught was probably in seventh grade. Like it's so funny. I was talking to Akib Talib about it like a, a long time ago, and he was like, "I guarantee Pat had perfect technique in eighth grade." Like, and that's kind of yeah. Marvin. I bet you Marvin ran perfect routes in eighth grade. Like it's the only other player I can think of that almost checks all the boxes of the physicality is bigger than most guys at it. They move faster than most guys at their size. Like Justin Simmons, the Broncos safety told him once he's like, he's bigger than me and he's faster than me and quicker than me. Like that's not supposed to, and I'm an all pro safety. Like that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's Marvin. Like Marvin is bigger than his dad. He might end up moving better than his dad. But the just the pedigree is there as well. Like that, that's the only other guy I can think of that almost checks every single box um, in terms of being pro ready the minute they step into an NFL spring workout. I think Marvin's just going to be like, I think when he, I think his first spring workout is going to be like, is this dude been in the league for four years, five years? Yep. Like that's the feeling it's going to be. I told James we do half an hour. We're closing in on an hour, but we're talking Buckeyes, man. Hey, what else? Yeah, are you listen, do? I mean, I, I got the cleaners upstairs. My son's watching TV. I'm good. I'm good. I, I, this is All right. problem with me. This is why me and Breer text each other like 700 times during an Ohio State game because we can't stop. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you about Breer because Breer's been on, and I was like, oh, so you just are guys. Yeah, you're talking Buckeyes, man. Much yeah. NFL guys sitting around talking right. Buckeyes. That's what we do. All right. So let's go to the offensive line. We, we, like they, it became like a little viral video, the the one Paris Johnson oh, the jump from Pro Day at Ohio. The, yeah. Like he's just, and it again, it's one of these. Sometimes I said it's like, and I know the NFL knows this, but still, you're not dug in all the way on it during the course of a season. So it's like we're watching Paris Johnson or or CJ Stroud or all these guys every every practice, every game. Like we know it, and then when the NFL comes in, it's like, hey, and and like for Paris Johnson especially, it's like, well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, for real. Like this, uh-huh. Right. I don't know if anybody didn't know that before, but as the people who have been here since he committed to Ohio State, yeah. and I keep saying, I think it's the it's the best offensive line recruit since Orlando Pace. It doesn't mean the expectation yeah. is be Orlando Pace, but yeah. this is rare air, and the guy could have been a three-year starting tackle at most other places. He winds up being a one-year starting tackle here, but in Almost every way, it he feels like what you want at the position. I like the idea of like kind of Paris Johnson versus Peter Skaronsky. It's a Big Ten battle, different, right? Mm-hmm. Different traits, yeah. different experience. Both, I think, will be excellent NFL tackles. 
How do you think that shapes up? What's that conversation like for teams? Again, maybe it's more traits versus guys who put the put down more film. Well, Paris's path actually that you just described has helped him in in mm. teams evaluations. Because think of a team like say who's picking for them? A team like Atlanta, right? Atlanta's got their tackles, but they're also like we love. Paris Johnson. We're, what are they picking? Like eight or something like that? Yeah. Man, we could play him at guard his rookie year. And then maybe we play him at guard two years. And then we play him at tackle for the next 10. Like his ability to do that allows some teams to go like, oh, snap. Like even if we're not guard needy, I mean, not tackle needy, and we're near the top of the draft. I was just using them as an example. Yeah. We, we can still make this pick. And for the longevity of our of our tackle situation and our offensive line situation, man, does this put us in a great spot? Like so, Paris's past and the way it happened at Ohio State has actually helped him in rooms because they can teams can look at him and, and make a move like that, and, and they really love that about him. To where it's like we can get and, and here's the thing: like we're talking about quarterbacks a lot and like being NFL ready. Being NFL ready as a tackle is hard. I mean, it's tough. Like those guys that are going against you as edge rushers are some of the biggest freaks on the planet. Actually, a lot of them come from Ohio State. And so, like, if you have a Nick Bosa coming at you, or like a Vaughn Miller in his heyday, who still has a lot left, like the bend, like these guys that are coming at you, there's a big learning curve for tackles. Um, specifically the way the offensives work. And it depends on which offense you land, but um, Paris can also play in every offense. I think that's also a huge subject. The way we're talking about the move, like if you run his own scheme, like you're like a Shanahan type of scheme, you, you don't think that I can get out and move, like say Trent Williams? Like you can put – imagine him, like him out in the open field, like in that mm-hmm. big wide zone scheme that like, you know, the Niners run, and he's out there running like a tight end, as C.J. Stroud said to us when he was like standing right there. And Stroud looked at all of us, and he's like, my man moves like a tight end. And I'm like, yeah. At three fifteen, he does like, and so his versatility. Some teams really, really like him, and he's smart. He he's got a great personality. Um, he checks a ton of boxes for teams. Um, I didn't know this talking to him. He was like, "I used to be a wide receiver." I was like, "What?" Mm. He's like, "I play." He's like, "He's like they progressively moved me closer to the center." I was like a wide receiver, then I was like a tight end, and then I kind of moved to tackle. And it was kind of like, I guess maybe I can't catch. So they kept moving me in closer. Um, but I, I think that just shows me like the, the footwork and the athletic ability at a young age, even if that was like freshman year of high school or whatever it was, eighth grade. Um, there's just so much to like about him because of the athletic ability uh, and the power that he plays with. I, he, he's a super fun one to watch. But this is a, this is a weird tackle draft. There's not like a – trying to think. I don't think any of them are on like a – I'm trying to think of like a crazy tackle draft we've had recently. I can't think of one now, but like none of them are in that like ultra blue chip group. Um, yeah. You know, that, that some have come through recently, like a, like a Tristan Wirfs where you were just like, this guy's just going to be incredible from day one. I don't think that anybody in this draft's really that level. Okay. Let's talk one more tackle. I've been taking bets 
are offering to take bets. I think Dewan Jones is going to be a first round pick. And I keep citing Isaiah Wilson, who was the second Georgia tackle behind Andrew Thomas, went, I think, 30 in that draft. Just mm-hmm. a big, giant guy. Yeah. And it's like, hey, man, giant tackles with decent feet. Let's try that late in the first round. And then he washed out for off the, off the field reasons. But I think Dewan. Rare wingspan, rare size, and I think a pretty good athlete mm-hmm. and young in the sport. Do you think he has a, sh- a chance to go in the first round? Yeah, he does. He does because of what you just said. He also has the, maybe my favorite combine, I mean, a uh, pro day moment of recent memory. When I'm on the floor right there and they're going through the, me- the measurements, height and weight and everything, we're standing there. And I'm on the, I'm there with all the, we're getting, it's this and then the bench and I'm with all the coaches and they go, Dwan, and they go, Dwan Jones, like, weight, choice. He chose not to be weighed. (laughs) I've never heard them yell out choice before in my entire life to all the head coaches. And I'm standing there. Mike Tomlin looks over. He goes, choice? What do you mean mean choice? How does the dude weigh? Like, like he, he opted to not be weighed. It was almost like Seinfeld where he was like, I choose not to run. Um, it was, he was just like, it, it was yelled out choice, which was phenomenal. I think what's helped him, what helps him, honestly, um, is Orlando Brown Jr. Like, I mm. see some comps there, and there's been some success from, from Orlando. Um, now he has hurt himself with some of his negotiations. We can get into that and his insistence on playing left tackle, which is also like, but like, it doesn't look great, right? <laughs> um, but man, how do you move when it looks like that? Yeah. That's wild. Like, and that's the comp that I see the two of them. Like, Orlando Brown Jr. was not super strong, and he still isn't super strong. But the way he moves at his size, like, and it doesn't even always look pretty, but like, it's effective. And how do you move at that size? And how do you stay healthy at that? Like, he does. I think that's actually helped Juan in a sense. Um, there's some teams that really want to take a deeper look at them um, because they're fascinated by the size and the ability to move at that size. Um, there were teams that were not happy he didn't work out um, at the pro day. I know that for sure. And so he's an interesting prospect, but he's one of those guys like Makai Beckham right, with the Jets. You're yep. like, I have to pick this guy. Like, there, How do you move at this size? And I think DeWan's kind of like that. Yeah, no, I've had multiple Makai Becton conversations with Dewan because, like, you just see it, and it's one of the be a road grader in the run game, mm-hmm. and in the pass game, it's like, well, you just you stick your arms out, and at yeah. least the guy has to run around you. Exactly, that's like kind of Orlando Brown Jr. It's kind of it's like almost like as long as I well, when you're playing with Pat Mahomes, it's a little bit easier, but it's like as long as I just get this body that I can move really well for the size of it in in the way, you're not really getting getting there all that quickly. Um, and it's kind of the way Orlando's done it. It's not beautiful um, at times, but with that size and athleticism, it almost sometimes doesn't have to be. Last thing, and I just feel like we have, I feel like, is this one of the three biggest storylines going into the NFL season? It feels like a lot of people are invested in what Justin Fields is going to do. That yeah. the Bears have, they traded away the number one pick, that they're not taking a quarterback. They got him DJ Moore. They're going to, I would imagine take an offensive guy at nine. Maybe it's Paris Johnson. Maybe it's Jackson Smith and Jigba, but give him a little bit of help some way or the other. They're maybe rounding into form a little bit here. 
and we saw what he could do with his legs a year ago. This, how much intrigue do you think there is in the NFL for what the Justin Fields year three experience is going to be? Well, first off, I love talking about Justin. Like, and I made a big rant on Good Morning Football recently when I was hosting. Like, one of my least favorite times of the year are right now when there are just things put out there that are just not true. Like, if you remember when Justin was coming out and there was the whole like camp process, he's not that bright. Yep. He's not that. Like, that still bothers me because, like, it was teams putting misinformation out on purpose. And I don't know if everybody knows this. So hopefully he drops to you. Like, hopefully he can land with us. We'll put this bullshit out. And I think that's really hurtful for a lot of players. And and I don't know. I've never talked to Justin about it and how it felt. Um, but that's that's really crappy, man. And that, and that, that, like, has gotten – I'm already an Ohio State guy, but that, like, has gotten me even, like, more so rooting for his success because he came into the league with some criticisms that just weren't accurate. Um, and so – I think one thing that really stands out at me that he won over in Chicago this year is I did their game against the Eagles. It's actually a game Jalen Hurts got hurt in. And Justin got hurt in it as well and then comes back. It wasn't even close. And I'm in the locker room, in Philly's locker room, and it's like Darius Slay and like, you know, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, all these like loudmouth NFL vets are like, that is one of the toughest dudes I have ever played against in my life. Like he had no business coming back into that game. He nobody would have thought anything less of him if he didn't come back into the game. Cause I think he got like a rib hole, like just drilled shot, missed like a few plays and came back. The respect the Eagles locker room had for Justin Fields was unreal. And so I think with when Ryan Poles pulled the trigger on that trade, I thought that was a wonderful move for Justin. Like they didn't really tell him everything they were doing, but they were staying in constant contact with him about what we're doing at one, what we're thinking about doing. But once you made the trade that early, you're letting him know, like, you're the guy. Like, you're the guy, and that's what we're going with forward. That has to mean the world to a young quarterback that you traded the pick that early, and you're going through your offseason going, I'm the guy. Um, I've talked to um, – who's their offensive coordinator? Uh, Luke – is Luke Getze? Yeah. Um, yeah, Luke Getze. Yep. Luke Getze about him, and I tried to get some of this out actually that week. I was doing the game like on NFL Network. Luke told me he's like he's like he's one of the most competitive people I've ever been around. Like I don't think people get that, and I and you know this probably from covering in Ohio State. Some people, and I get this in the league too. Some people's faces just don't look like they're trying hard or uber competitive, right? I think he just has that look and he gets overly judged for it. And I wanted to get some of that stuff out. I'm not going to lie. Maybe because I'm a Buckeye. But did you sense that like when he was at Ohio State that like just the way he carries himself and nobody can help their body language or just the way their face looks. um, It looked like he wasn't like super into it in a sense at times. But but also like like unflappable. Exactly. Yeah. Like doesn't get too high or too low. But also... He hurts his leg. He hurts his knee at the end of the Penn State game. And there he is in the Michigan game the next week. And then he has to go in the injury tent and he comes out and throw a touchdown. Mm-hmm. He takes that shot, shot, talking about shot in the ribs against Clemson, right? I mean, like, yeah. th- this is like, this is like a calm, cool, tough dude mm-hmm. who can throw it and can run it. 
Yep. And I always thought, I think he had really good arm strength at Ohio State. Yep. And is he, is he as good of a thrower as C.J. Stroud? No. No. But he's a good thrower, and he is a dynamic guy with the ball in his hands. And yep. I think he's got that thing that you want in a franchise quarterback. So mm-hmm. I still, you know, you thought in the moment, it's like, all right, well, sorry, Jets. You fell out of the Trevor Lawrence spot. But, hey, Justin Fields is a pretty good consolation prize. We know how that went. Yep. So, and then he, just, he gets put in an impossible spot. But I just oh, think like I'm the worst team around what him ever. He, <laughs> oh, my God. Terrible. So, like, what this might be now, like, mm-hmm. what this might be is I always thought like a bigger Russell Wilson was the comparison for him because I always thought Justin threw a nice deep ball mm-hmm. and then he could certainly could do stuff with his legs. So I don't think he's going to run for 1,500 yards this year because he'll have a better offense around him. But man, that's always a threat. Yeah. So I think at his peak, he can be a top 10 quarterback in the league if he has the right system and the right guys around him. Completely. And I think like you could use... And I've talked to Luke Getzey about this, like the the Jalen Hurts comp, like you saw Jalen from year one as a starter, year two as a starter. Um, now Justin's had to go through different offenses to, to an offensive change in there. But like Luke's kind of point was like, it, now that he's shown everyone this unbelievable ability to run the football, everything you run, zone read, everything you run, play action, uh, he can throw out of, that backside has to respect you keeping it and running. Right, you have to be respected on that. That changes the way every defense plays you. It makes life so easy on Jalen Hurts. Like in the pocket, run it. I may keep it and I may go, or I may go. Now edges have to sit and wait and contain, and they can't come at me like they want to come at me, and they can't drop because then I'll run for five and slide or I'll do whatever. And that makes passing the football easier for him. I think that sets things up for Justin really well. Now he just needs valuable people to throw the ball to the DJ Moore trade around the league is considered like maybe the best offseason move that was made by any team including all the free agency signings like getting him in that trade like maybe was the best move that that anybody has made and so I give Ryan Poles credit in that but like just because of what happened this past season I think does help him in his in his ability to throw the football and and staying in the same system, I just hope it stays for him. I can picture him being one of those guys that has to keep getting new offensive systems like every two years, and you always go, "What could have been if he was in the same system every single year?" Like, I hope that doesn't happen to him um, because I do think the talent's there, like crazy talent's there, and I think they can change some things with some talent around him to to make life easier on him. James Palmer. NFL Network, Ohio State Buckeye. What, can, what, what do you want to promote, James? What do you want to tell people about? It could be what you're doing at the NFL Network. It could be your wife's art yeah. that you were just carrying yeah. before you came on the podcast. What should people know? Yeah, my wife's a brilliant artist. She's doing a thing on ancient Egyptian feminism compared to today. That's deep, uh, way deeper than we've gone. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be fun to see what happens in a few weeks with the draft. I always go to a team that we think is going to do something really kind of wild. Um, and I haven't gotten my assignment yet. We're still trying to figure it out. I was in Philly last year, and they made that blockbuster for A.J. Brown on draft day. Um, I was in Houston when they traded up a ton to get to Sean Watson. Like, I, we always have a sense of what could happen. So I'm excited to see where I go uh, for that week of the draft at, at the end of April. That's We have so much fun covering the draft at NFL Network. It's We have so many good people. Uh, that break this stuff down. Um, I think our draft coverage is just awesome. So I'm excited for that to be rolling around. 
because it's kind of like a little bit of a dead period now. Now we all start guessing for a while. Hopefully no misinformation comes out about anybody. You can tell how angry that makes me. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, I'm, I'm excited to roll into the, roll into, uh, into the draft because then we get to like, I guess, re-guess again for several weeks on how it all played out. I'm going to bug you. Like what, what's happening at quarterback before I go? Like, what do you think's going to happen? I tried to, I, I, you know, I tried to uh, bend everybody's ear there. You know, I tried yeah. to see what was happening. Nobody was, everybody was a little tight lipped on it. Um, yeah, no, I mean, if Kyle McCord, to when we got to watch the scrimmage work. last Saturday, Kyle McCord had a good day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Devin Brown can scoot a little bit. So we're very curious about, like, is there, do you want a quarterback who could maybe run a little bit more? But the thing we keep going back to is, as you said, with Ryan Day, and I think Ryan Day knows this, right? He gets Dwayne Haskins, so he has JT Barrett in year one as an offensive coordinator. Then Dwayne Haskins in year two. Dwayne Haskins was wasn't supposed to be here. They recruited Tristan Wallace, who yeah. flipped to Oregon, and they went back to Haskins. You sort of back into Haskins. Then Justin Fields, boom, you grab him from Georgia. Then CJ Stroud, he's a late ad, mm-hmm. late in the recruiting cycle, second guy in the club. But Kyle McCord, Ryan Day picked Kyle McCord. Yeah. Kyle McCord, like he's like Kyle McCord is like four years in with Ryan Day now, like two in high school and two in college. And so like this is his guy. And so I don't think that should mean he picks him, but like, there's not a lot of mystery here. Kyle McCord knows what Ryan day wants. Ryan day knows how Kyle McCord operates. And so he's a five-star guy. Ohio state picked him over JJ McCarthy. JJ McCarthy looked pretty darn good leading Michigan to the playoff last year. Mm -hmm. So there's a ceiling out there for Kyle McCord, but it's tough when the guy you're replacing might be the number one pick in the draft. And I think we, we talk about a lot. CJ right away. Wasn't this CJ against Minnesota and his first start struggled in the first half CJ game two, they lose to Oregon. I think an older, more experienced CJ maybe finds a way to lead a game winning drive at the end of that. So you have to think there might be bumps regardless. They get Notre Dame at Notre Dame in week four. Mm -hmm. That might be tough because Notre Dame's going to have a veteran quarterback and Sam Hartman, but it feels like it's going to be McCord. But we've talked a lot about, Georgia has a quarterback competition. Bama has a quarterback competition. But I think Ohio State's two guys and the fact that Ryan Day is still here running it while Georgia and Alabama are working in new offensive coordinators, I think Ohio State should be confident that they're going to arrive at a good decision regardless of who it is, which is all you want here. I don't know for sure who it's going to be, but I think the Ohio State quarterback is going to be pretty good. Okay. I dig it. I like it. I tried to get it from Heartline. I was trying to ask him. He's like, oh, we're, we're a long ways away. We got time. Yeah. I was like, no, no, no. no. Brian Hartline, Brian Hartline. He's, we were, we had our media session with him the other day and he was basically like, what's wrong with you people? What are these questions that you're asking me? We're like, we get it, Brian. These guys who were in the NFL for nine years, they don't have any time for guys. So, um, but it's fun. So James, thanks for coming on, man. No time. Very appreciative of your time. I loved it. I could do this regularly. By the way, great piece you had on CJ. Um, uh, I read it a few, a while back or the one on his mind and, yeah, um, I love CJ. We spent a lot of time talking about CJ's yeah. mind yeah. on here. So, uh, But I appreciate that. Thank you, James. Yeah, no and problem. thanks for joining us here. We appreciate you taking time out of your day. Make sure you guys are watching James Palmer on the NFL Network. And uh, we certainly appreciate you guys being part of our Ohio State coverage. For yeah. James, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.